It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store. It's kind of a busy show, uh, especially for a Friday. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, some cast members from the Flint Repertory Theater who are making history with an LGBTQ plus take on the world's longest running musical, The Fantastics. And we'll hear about that and more with them. In the middle of our three hour tour, we're going to talk uh, with former UN relief chief about how diverting aid solely to Ukraine is compounding humanitarian needs elsewhere. And we're also going to squeeze in a couple of reactions from two of the five GOP candidates for Michigan governor that were dropped from the ballot uh, yesterday by the Michigan um, Board of State Canvassers and uh, Mike Brown. And um, who else is going to be joining us? Michael Markey are two of the five that that got dropped and it was over a petition debacle that you have to hear to believe and uh and we'll hear it from them coming up uh in a little while but first but first <laughs> there's more uh we're going to talk with the author of a new book um that's uh well, it's it's set in in 1960s uh, uh, Harvard uh, area, um, written by Ann Whitney Pierce, and she joins me by phone. Ann, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. How is it out there in the Midwest? It's actually pretty good. It's cooling <laughs> off a little bit today. We had a couple of hot ones. Uh, it, yeah, it goes it goes right from winter to summer these days. Yeah, we have a little bit of that going on too. <laughs> it's I, always the way. But anyway, great to great to hear your voice. And I I I can't believe I've never seen this word before, but I'm always anxious to learn what is a Cantabrigian? A Cantabrigian is anybody who uh, comes from is native to. Cambridge. Now there, are, you know, as you know, there are any number of Cambridges in the world. Uh, right. Mine happens to be in Massachusetts, Cambridge, Massachusetts, across the river from Boston. So that's that's uh, the name. We loved it in high school because it was shortened to the Cantabs. That was our mo- our mascot, and everybody else had animal mascots, but we had Cantabs. 
which if for those who don't know, it might be regional, but can tabs are what you flip on your beer can to open it up. So we thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> as as is the uh, the plot of, of your book, Down to the River, uh, which just came out this month. And it mm-hmm. it takes, this is interesting, identical twins. Mm-hmm. And looks at their families and their their offspring, um, in that in that world of um, the Ivy League. Well, um, it actually it it's sort of uh, we we zoom into in time to uh, 1968-69 when this family is sort of at a breaking point having been this old uh, Boston Brahmin family with, you know, all the men sort of automatically just swinging through the gates, the Ivy League gates of Harvard, all of a sudden they've kind of hit hard times. And, you know, for the first time ever, actually have to, quote, work for a living. So they start a sporting (laughs) goods store (laughs) in Harvard Square. Imagine that. uh, Yeah. And so the, the, this is basically the story of, of their two late-in-life children who experience uh, a family life and that upbringing very different from their older siblings who were more ro- raised in sort of the old school values in the late 40s and, you know, early 50s. So it, it's not so much about, you know, the Harvard uh, elite, but sort of um, a branching out into the world for this family uh, to have a very another another kind of an experience than they might have had it been ten years earlier. You know, as we think about these kids, these two characters who uh, are basically in high school from 1967 to 71, and you know, I have lists in front of me. If you think about everything that happened in between, you know, those two dates in terms of, you know, sexual, social, political, uh, any any realm of life. It's just staggering, you know, I, what was going on then. You know, that's just about the same time that I was going to high school, maybe a couple, oh, okay. of, a couple of years ahead of me. But it um, the fact that this takes place at the height of the Vietnam era, and, and it's it's being talked about um, as, as maybe some opportunity to examine things that are going on currently uh, through this lens and one of the things that we talk about all the time now is the division in this country and I remember our country being just as divided at that particular moment in time but it was a different demographic that was divided it was Old versus young, yes. Primarily, <laughs> Prim- primarily. Yes. I mean, there was this: don't trust anyone over thirty, don't trust anyone <laughs> under thirty, and and yes. and now it's much more about race and class. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's fair. Um, and I, but I also think you know, above and beyond that, there are just sort of there's a different um, feel to the divisions, you know. And that was sort of a wonderful part, I thought, of the 60s was, you know, despite the divisions, there was goodwill, you know, there was working across the aisle. Um, you know, there there was some sense of hope that, you know, sides could come together and work. And, you know, just having now 
lived long enough to see see what's happened over the course of 50 years. It just has a very different kind of uh, ugly <laughs> feel well, to it. it. Yeah, in, the, in those days, the slogan was make love, not war. And these yeah, days, right. it's if you don't agree with me, you're a moron. Yeah. <laughs> well put. <laughs> I mean that you know that sounds a little harsh, but we live in harsh yeah, times. Yeah, we do, we do indeed. Yeah, but it, I mean, I think it is—it's just coincidence. Of course, I didn't write a book thinking, well, I'll let it sit around for the next few decades and hope that it becomes relevant again. But here we are, you know, <laughs> half a century later, and a lot of the issues, you know, that the, the characters and the families face in this book are so timely. You know, right down to the day, you can sort of you can read about something in the novel, and then you know it's front page news the next day, fifty years later. So that's just uh, that's fortuitous. That's nothing that I planned, of course. But um, I think it's uh, it's going to be helpful for the book. And I have to ask because of the timing of the book, how much of this uh, this book was a um, COVID quarantine project? Oh, not not <laughs> one ounce of it actually. Really, really. <laughs> uh, well, I had another another book that was that that baby, the COVID baby, is another one. But I actually had had finished this before. Um, it, the the wheels of of writing slash publishing turn extremely slowly. <laughs> I've so heard this that. all takes. Um, it, it the the book was accepted for publication just as the pandemic hit. Um, so I was lucky in that sense, but. You know, it's it's not uncommon when you have a piece, a, a book uh, accepted that it's a couple of years before it it sees the light of day. So that's what happened. In well, then that was even more true uh, during the COVID uh, lockdowns yeah. early on. I, I publishing exactly. stopped. Everything stopped. It did, and I you know I I, I felt grateful that you know I I did have this two year window where we could hopefully get through this because. Writers who publish stuff during the pandemic, of course, you know, no book tours, no no interviews, no right. no press, you know. So that was tough for them, and hopefully, people are sort of bending over backwards to help them. Get and the, is that get the word out. is that a part of the process of of um, writing and publishing that you enjoy the the meeting people the book signings the readings getting feedback from people who've read Absolutely. the books I, yeah. and I ask that because for a lot of writers it's a very solitary uh, endeavor right. well that will never change because if you look at the ratio of time between being holed up you know wrestling with the work and the time you're out there reading or or talking to people it's it's pretty minuscule amount of time so there's no worry that uh, your solitary time is really going to be infringed on too much. So it's a nice balance, you know, that you, you spend a lot of time by yourself and then sort of wonderful contrast to get out there and have the work out there and meet, meet people and talk. So it's a good, good mix. How did, how did this story evolve and, and come to you? Um, especially the, the element of, um, having these identical twin heirs? Well, as most of us are, I'm fascinated with twins. I actually have another book that has twins in it, too. And I'm always very apologetic to twins because you can never know what that's really like. But, of course, we're always so intrigued. Uh, but I did think 
it was an opportunity to sort of use the characters at this crux time in history to show how different, for instance, you know, without giving anything away, one of the twins is more conservative politically than the other, although in Cambridge at that time, that's not, that wasn't saying too much. <laughs> but so these are two guys with very different viewpoints, and their kids, you know, are good friends and go to high school together. So it was a way of sort of um, putting out, you know, keeping keeping it real in terms of the different viewpoints that were, you know, going around during the day and not coming at uh, coming at it, you know, just from, uh, well, these kids were kids of the 60s and therefore, you know, it was all about peace, love, rock and roll, you know, to sort of interject um, different different points of view a little bit to the extent you can. You can't do everything, you know, but you try. Well, I I, I like the, uh, there's, there's a phrase in um, one of the press releases about your book that says, uh, their struggles are deeply, or no, no, let me, let me back up. As they cling together for comfort and support, they are pulled by the Cambridge undertow as politics, <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll sound their <laughs> siren call. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm not sure I saw that one. Um, yes, the undertow. That's a great word. That's a yeah, great word. yeah, but I'm yeah. not used to seeing politics next to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, <laughs> You must be a little bit if you, and if where's, you came of age in that era. <laughs> and, 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 and where's religion in all of this? Well, it isn't, pretty much. And that may be a factor, you know, uh, of my own personal upbringing of well, not being raised the, with a religion. The but, absence but I mean, it, might be a little conspicuous um, as another sign of the times. Yes. And I think that's actually a good point. Um, but it's not something that I, I guess, felt willing or able to take on because of the way that I had been raised, not to dismiss it in any way. Um, and, I, and I would say, of course, it was a factor um, for many people making decisions about the war, you know, about any of these things, about contraception. Um, but because it wasn't so much in my sphere... I tend to not want to take on something that I, you know, I'm on kind of shaky ground. So I think that that's sort of the not very um, satisfying answer to that question. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll have better luck after the break. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and Whitney Pierce is the author of uh, a new book called Down to the River. And, and I have to take a uh, short break here. Can you stick around okay. for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure can. Great. Yep, sure can. Um, if you're listening to us on WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM Flint. They are broadcast services of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Hearing. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse we'll be back with more politics sex drugs and rock and roll with ann whitney pierce right after this hello out there everybody it's me tigger t-i-double-g-r that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about politics, sex, drugs, and rock and roll <laughs> with the author of a new book, Down to the River, by Ann Whitney Pierce. Ann, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, that's okay. It's interesting to hear what what, what goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> um, and and speaking of, of what goes on behind the scenes, in putting together a story like this, how much of it was about an interesting story and how much of it was about the politics of the era? Or was that that simply a backdrop to tell a story that was somewhat No, I, I think I would have to say that it, it's more than just a backdrop and sort of the impetus for writing the book. I just felt, I mean, it's a conceit, you know, to think that you're... Your coming of age or your story is any more interesting than anybody else's. But I truly felt, you know, I still feel that having come of age in this in this extraordinary time and, you know, in, in what to me was kind of an extraordinary place in terms of just what was going on, uh, I, I, I really wanted to uh, document that in some form or fashion. And since fiction is my, my genre... That was the way to do it. Um, the other thing is that I'm just not a writer who's, uh, you know, my work is not traditionally plot-driven, more character-driven and dialogue and sort of, you know, place-driven. So it was a happy meeting of the two, but... Um, but you know, in this particular often. case, and and I ask a lot of writers, you know, if they come up with the story first and then cast it like a movie or if they have characters in mind and then come up with adventures that would likely happen to these people. And and it sounds to me a little bit like with this book, it was sort of story-driven first. Well, good. I'm going to take that. <laughs> no, I, I uh, and, and I guess I, I maybe phrased that wrong because I, I meant to ask it as a question. You know, was it... Um, story first and and then you decided to cast it or did you think you know i need to i need to write a story about you know twin heirs <laughs> no I, the, the twins actually weren't even that paramount um it was about the kids i i thought that and i it was a risk because if you have a piece of work that's adult fiction and you have teenagers who or the protagonists, that's going to turn a lot of people away. Um, well, a lot just, of people are going to think it's young adult fiction. That's right. That's right. Or, or at the very least, that if, it, if, we, if mostly we're going to be reading about a couple of, you know, teenage kids, no thanks, you know, <laughs> I'll go somewhere else. But uh, I just thought that that was the point of view, really, that I wanted to get across since it had been mine because it was, it was just the witnessing of so much change in such a short time. Um, and it just seemed to me they, they were the natural to, uh, to tell the story. And I, I guess I would say the other thing is I also have a special kind of fondness for the relationship of cousins. I think it's, I had many cousins and one in particular who is, to this day is my best friend. And I, I think this is a special relationship in many families because 
you don't have all the baggage of your siblings and all the stuff you had to endure with each other. But it is family, and you know that kind of deep down. Um, so that was one aspect of this was sort of the lines that were blurred around, you know, who you could like and how you could like them and how you could act. Uh, that interested me not only in, in, in the nuclear family, uh, which was ex exploding at the time, you know, the nuclear family, who knows what that means anymore, but uh, that this would be a good lens to sort of, you know, let the reader know how fast and furiously things were changing and how it was both exhilarating and frightening and, you know, challenging, uh, all of those well, different it's, kinds it's of Well, it's funny you mention, it's, it's funny that you mention the, the nuclear family because that's a, a phrase that has sort of faded into the past. Um, yes. A, along with Leave it to Beaver, I think. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. It, but... In many ways, the the period of time you're talking about is, is when all that fading began. Yes, and that's why I gave the the uh, the two sibling, I mean the cousins, older siblings. I couldn't afford to give them too much room on the page as characters, but I wanted you know it to be very clear that they had grown up in the same family, but under a very different set of rules. And just the reactions sometimes of the older siblings who come and go, being just aghast at what the kid, these younger kids are, are being sort of let let do, you know, like mom and dad, we wouldn't have been able to get away with that, you know, ten years ago, kind of thing. So that gave some contrast. But you're absolutely right. That was exactly when all of these rules, even as a young young kid, that had been sort of in place just started to unravel, you know. Well, I, um, <laughs> I remember being able to run pretty much wild as a yes. young kid in the 60s until the streetlights came on. Yeah. And then it was, well, you know, everybody on deck, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and Did you grow up right there in, in Flint or yeah. somewhere nearby? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was yeah. I was born and raised in Flint. And Flint was um a much different place then than it is now. You know, we've uh -huh. had we've had uh auto plants dry up, we've had right. the hassle yeah. with the municipal water system. You know, we've had all of these these downturns. But at the time when I was growing up, um Flint was uh you know, it was happening. It was unionizing the country. It was putting the country yeah. on wheels, and we had the highest-paid factory workers on the planet. Wow! Yeah, I uh -huh. mean, it was a really big deal. Yeah, uh, model yeah. schools, every you know, everything was yeah. was great, and then, boy, it just it just deteriorated. And in some ways, Flint is a bit of an avatar for the uh -huh. end of the industrial revolution. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yes. As is the time of, that you write about. Right. Right. Well, um, I you know I'm thinking back as you say that about when the when the lights went down, but we you know part of what was so unusual was that you know we sometimes we never even went home. 
we roamed the streets day and night. You know, I don't know whether we had some sort of false sense of security or, uh, you know, maybe we were crazy. We're all doing, most of us are still alive and kicking, but. Well, um, what's interesting is, you know, there's this, a lot of people want to compare stories like yours from that time period with what's going on now. And there are some similarities, but there are some huge differences. And you just touched on one where in those days, um, and I'm talking about uh, the 60s, which really runs from about 64 to 75-ish. It was extremely contentious largely over civil rights and the Vietnam War, a little bit of, uh, um, oh, uh, oh, what was it called, the the effort to... um, Voting rights, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's it's, uh, (laughs) about women and equality. (laughs) There was a constitutional amendment that... um, yeah, the equal the, rights the beginning amendment. of women's lib and all the that. The equal yeah. rights amendment is yes, is what I was go. trying to talk 64, about. Sixty four, I believe. Yeah, that one started, was, yeah. you know, being part of the conversation as well. But it was primarily uh, anti-war and civil rights, and 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 yet um, there was this sense of security that you could go anywhere and do anything. Now I'm sure there are some black activists from the '60s that would argue that point yeah of course but now it's it's so much more dangerous yes it's contentious now yes there's you know divisiveness but boy you wouldn't let your kids run like our parents let us run in in this oh my goodness i yeah i raised three kids in the 80s i you know i I was trembling in fear when i let her at the age of 10 go to the corner store (laughs) Well, when and, I, at the age of 10, was riding my bike all over town and, you know, thinking nothing of it, taking care of business. This you know? morning, I dare say, people were nervous about sending their kids yes. to school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I've got two little grandchildren in Washington, and, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, my gosh. can't bear it. So, But, but what, what, how do you see it as you've done this deep dive on on your sort of coming of age period with what's going on now well i mean i think you know it's i don't want to call it wisdom but i think if you live long enough you start to see how the that cycles in history shift and change and sometimes reverse themselves uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, as a young, hopeful person, I never could have imagined that some of the strides that we made back then could have reversed themselves or, you know, uh, stalled at so many different junctures. Uh, but but this is the way, of the, it's the way of the world. It's the way things roll, you know, that different ideas are going to be more popular, they're going to be accepted, embraced, then rejected again. 
And it's not a feeling I like because it's kind of one of resignation, you know, that I'm at an age where, oh, I can be involved and active, but I'm, I'm not, we're not the generation that's going to save the planet now. You know, this is up to our kids and grandkids. And uh, I, I feel so sad to be leaving them a world that's in such a, in, you know, bad shape in so, on so many levels. So that's a very depressing analysis. Well, yeah, and um, and I didn't mean to turn it so dark, but no, that's okay. And I think you and I both um, probably observed what was going on at the Capitol building in Washington on January sixth yes. as yes. something completely yes. impossible to believe or imagine, yes. right. and that a yes. president would be involved. And that after the fact, half of the people in this country didn't think it went far enough. Yeah, exactly. That's and terrifying. on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely terrifying, and that's something yeah. we see. Now, we have a tendency to remember, you know, the Woodstock moments of the 60s. That's right. And, that's not, right. and not the bombings or, you know, the, the yeah. police... Uh, actions against uh, black marchers with fire hoses and dogs sure. and you know we 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 tend not to yeah. remember those things it's romantic the 60s there's no question that you know oftentimes the 60s are romanticized and yeah you know, I, I again mean, they, not we we think that <laughs> <laughs> that in the 60s, the, the people that wanted to march on the Capitol would have stormed into the Capitol and thrown flowers at people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Take that! Take yeah. that! <laughs> yes, exactly. And I mean, I was, I was in Harvard Square the night that uh, protesters took over the Harvard buildings. And again, it just it was not that kind of event. You know, I mean, it was compared to what happened last January 6th. It just had a totally different feel to it, you know. So I, I worry. I worry for our world. I do. I really do. Are there, are but, there lessons to be learned that present themselves as you tell this, uh, this story in the book, Down to the River, um, that, that are relevant for today? Well, I think they're they're universal and timeless. Um, you know, sort of the old adages about just uh, you know uh, do unto others. I I just am so struck by how savage sort of the the, the aggressions amongst factions feels, and I think that was what was lacking for me. That it was it was fine to have uh, differing opinions, and you know you could sort of mock people or or rib them, but to have this divide that is so uh, rigid and so, uh, you know, extreme, it just feels that the 60s, there was a more of a gentle feeling of possibility and hope that, you know, per tended to prevail so that even when something horrible happened, you know, an assassination or whatever else, and, you, you know, we still see this when something horrible happens that people come together, but that these should be moments that don't further divide us, but, you know, unite us. And um, I carry that with me uh, in all walks of my life, be it parenting, you know, just with friends or 
or people I disagree with. And so I think that's what I take away from having come of age and sort of my values having been shaped by those years. So tell me about your uh, your pandemic project. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love to do that. <laughs> um, now, I, the reason I uh, ask that, Anne, is because... Over the last year, I've talked to so many writers, and some of them very successful writers, yeah. who didn't take advantage of the time and are a little embarrassed about it. You know, they said, "I, you know, I was just kind of paralyzed like a lot of people <laughs> and and stood there like a deer in the headlights. And I look yeah. back now and think, you know, I could have knocked out three I, books. I had all that time <laughs> and opportunity, I know. Well, that's that's life, right? I mean... I, I always tell the story that I got so much, I had three kids in quick succession in the 80s, and I got more done during those first five years of their life than ever. It was such a productive time for me. And then all of a sudden when they went to school, I had all this time, and people would say, well, you know, so you must have written two or three or four books. <laughs> and it was always sort of the same thing, well, sheepishly saying, well, uh, no. <laughs> But in terms of the pandemic, um, it was uh, an idea that had already taken shape. So that I think that was the uh, the good thing for me was that I already had an idea in my head. I think for people who were just saying, okay, I've got time, let's do it, let's get an idea. Mine at least was already sort of, my brain was already starting to click a little around this idea. So the idea basically was to try and write something more commercial because that's not something I do very well. So I tried to write a story uh, that was a little lighter, a little light, more lighthearted. I, I think there is some humor in Down to the River, but it, it, I think most people would say it, it is you know, a lot darker. So this was my attempt to kind of make a more first-person, freewheeling um, story about an older divorced woman who sort of, you know, it's a tried and true story, but told a million times i'm not sure what i'm offering this anymore you know different or enlightening but just sort of her you know what though and to the world you know that that little bit of self-deprecation there may <laughs> not be necessary because you know sometimes all people really want to know is that somebody else is going through it too well that's a good a very good point i like that too yeah, exactly. So I just hope, you know, that I tell it in a way that's a little bit fresh or new or brings some, some new. Well, because you're it's competing with all these other little, people. If it's got a little fun, a little humor to it as well, yeah. and, and you tell yeah. the story, well, all the, the better. <laughs> all that was the goal. So so I'll keep you posted on that. But Well, please was, do. I will. My guest is Ann Whitney Pierce. The book is, uh, her newest book is Down to the River. came out uh, this month, May of uh, 2022. And, um, and we're almost out of time. And I, I've, I, I really enjoy talking with you. It, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I sure do. Thank you for asking. Uh, it's my name, which is Ann Whitney Pierce. Uh, don't forget the E on Ann. And AnnWhitneyPierce.com. 
that's my website. Um, it has all the information about my uh, past books, reviews, events, upcoming, and uh, back coming. <laughs> uh, so that's a good. Uh, I, I try and keep that updated so that the information is correct. Uh, you can also order the books on that website. I have direct links. Um, so that's really the best place to find out more about me, about me and my work, and I'd love to hear from anybody. Uh, I'd love to hear, you know, what other people are doing, writing about, thinking about, talking about. That's what it's all about. <laughs> well, Anne, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and keep up the good work. I certainly will. Thank you, Tom, and hello out there to Flint, and thanks for having me share my, my experiences with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Ann Whitney Pierce, a lifelong Canterburyan and uh, author of Down to the River, which, uh, let's see, is, uh, well, I won't go into all those uh, details. We have, um, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk to the first of two, count them, two, Michigan GOP candidates for governor that got kicked off the ballot amid signature fraud scandals. Uh, the news uh, being sort of somewhat finalized yesterday, although uh, several, including this guest uh, coming up right after the break, uh, Michael Markey, um, and uh, Detroit former Detroit Police Chief uh, James Craig, have vowed to uh, sue for inclusion on the ballot. We'll see, you know, how those things go. Now, this conversation I had with uh, Michael Markey that's coming up right after the break uh, was yesterday, but before the um, Board of Canvassers, uh, the Michigan Board of State Canvassers, had uh, deadlocked with a two-to-two -two on uh, each vote. Um and uh, so there's, you know, still some talk about making the case and, and uh, hoping that they decide in favor of Michael Markey staying on the, on the ballot, which, uh, which didn't happen, but hadn't happened yet when we spoke. Now, the, uh, the other conversation that's coming up next hour is with uh, Michigan State Police Captain Michael Brown, and he withdrew from the race Tuesday night um, but I spoke with him this morning so the uh, conversation with Mike Brown is uh, a little bit um, well it, it happened after the uh, canvassers made their decision yesterday or late yesterday Anyway, we are going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners at WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We got lots on uh, today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So I hope you'll uh, stick around with us. And don't forget, we're starting the weekend off early with some uh, cast members from the Flint Repertory Theater coming up during the 11 o'clock hour.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flynn Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, next guest is one of the GOP candidates in the uh, August primary for Michigan governor. And um, as, as most people know by now, there's been a little stir up. The Michigan uh, Board of Elections recommended pulling five out of ten candidates out of the running for the uh, August ballot. And one of those candidates joins me now by phone. Uh, Michael Markey was born and raised in Michigan and uh, give me the bird's eye view. Yeah, the bird's eye view. Do you know how I found out that we had any problems with our signatures? Uh, in uh, in the free press Monday? <laughs> yeah, Twitter. Okay. Twitter. Same day. So we had no idea. You know, <laughs> yeah, right, you're right, yeah. We had no idea. And, you know, I think what uh, people have to understand here is that there were certain candidates who it was public knowledge, it was very well known, um, that they were running up against the wall to get signatures, that they were having a very hard time getting signatures. What people, I think, don't understand is that wasn't us. So, yes, I did hire a, cert, you know, a company. We hired a company, though, out of Florida, not the company that everyone's been citing here in Michigan. And so we, you know, we submitted our signatures in, early, or in mid-March. Almost all of our signatures came from um, a huge chunk came from the month of February. So the Secretary of State, the, uh, as you said, the Bureau of Elections states that in late March they started seeing um, fraudulent activities. Well, that wasn't us. I think what happened is, so a lot of people describe me because of, um, like, how early we just joked about me getting into business, had my first successful business technically when I was 14. People say, what does that mean? Well, simply, it was, it was successful enough I was able to buy my first rental property, bought a second rental property before I was 16. So it did pretty well. Well, people have used this word uh, disruptor to describe me. Well, that's what I did when I got into this race. So we came in. I hired a company. We got the signatures faster than anybody. Um, and no, I don't believe that's because they were round-robbing them or doing fake signatures. Um, but then what happened is I was very clear that that was the path we took. And I think what happened then is these campaigns that were struggling started saying, let's go find the, the, the company well, let's go find people that worked on Markey's campaign. I, you know, I, I'm just speculating there. And, you know, what they did then is they started paying people three times what we were paying them. We were paying 7 bucks a signature. They started paying $20 a signature. I and they said, that. hey, we'll, we'll take, and, you know, and they said, hey, we'll take as many as you can get me. Well, that just made it ripe for disaster. So, you know, we had, when we submitted our signatures, and we, we stopped getting our signatures basically early March, we still had well over a month. And what came up today at court, which was very interesting, that, you know, two of the candidates didn't even show up. I guess they didn't think it was important enough. I kind of do. Um, but they, one of the questions they asked each one of the candidates um, or, or representatives which was, what did the campaign do to verify or validate that these were good signatures? I was the only one with an answer. You know, the, one, of the, one of the lawyers for Mr. Johnson's campaign said, well, you have to understand that, you know, oftentimes there'll be a, a group, a team of maybe 12 people who do this. And um, so they're, therefore they don't notice the overlap. It's never one person, not in the real world. I, and I love that I got up right after that because I said, well, um, uh, you know, it does work this way in the real world because I'm one person. I looked over, you know, I looked over every signature. When 
when I hired the company and they started getting signatures for me, I said, hey, I, uh, you know, I want to see these. And so they go, well, we can set you up with a daily, you know, every time we, um, we put them in and we scrub them, we'll, you know, we'll send you a, um, a PDF. So I've looked over all these. You know, we did that, that and that's not, and, and they had several levels of validation. That's not what these other campaigns had. So, you know, we, we deserve to be put on the ballot. Um, if they actually followed their processes, which, let's be clear, their own report shows they didn't. They said, this is the way we normally do it, but due to time and how much bad stuff we're seeing, we changed our process. You know, and, and, and I, I had a lot of interviews after the hearing. Um, apparently it was live streamed. I didn't know that. Um, and I said, this is why normal people don't get into politics. I go, because here I am. You know, this wasn't an easy decision. I mean, it's hard. I've got successful businesses, a great family. I, I pulled time away from the business and family. I've been on the road a lot because I thought it was the best to be able to help Michigan, to be able to fix our problems. And... You tell me there's a set of rules that you're going to follow, and then you didn't. I've looked at my, you know, some, here were some of the complaints they had about fraudulent petitions with other campaigns. They said there was no wear and tear. And I go, you know, they were too clean. And I go, well, not on ours. I can tell, you know, I, I submitted pictures of, um, of petitions to the Detroit News, who just came out with an article yesterday, showing wear and tear. They said, well, if a petition, if all 10 lines of the petition are, are filled out, that's a warning sign. I go, seriously? Number one, myself as a competitive person, I have a hard time submitting one with eight. I'll stay out later. It's just who I am. But I said, number two, a lot of our petitions, as I looked at them, they took sometimes three, four, sometimes a week to complete. That doesn't suggest fraud. And now you just throw them out. And the best line of it all was this, uh, one of the people that worked there, his name was Mr. Brader. Okay? I'm a, I'm a math guy. And so here's what they do. He said, we went over, out of the 68,000 that they're alleging, we went over se uh, roughly 7,000 of them, 10%. And we didn't find a single signature to be valid. But earlier in the day, they said, you know, people sign differently, right? If it's raining out, they're going to sign their name maybe more quickly. If they don't trust the person, they may sign their name differently. Um, they might have groceries. If you catch them out of Walmart, they might have groceries in their hand. They're going to sign it a little differently. So he used the words earlier in the day, redeemable qualities. If the, if the signature has some redeemable qualities where it looks like, hey, maybe it could be valid, maybe, out of an abundance of caution, we keep it. And so he said, we looked at 7,000 7, signatures. You know what he said? We didn't find one. Not one. And I'm like, wait a minute. You didn't, that's statistically impossible. <laughs> uh, I should say improbable, right? Yeah, exactly. And two, and two last things. I want to make sure I don't forget this. They wrote a two-and-a-half-page report for us, okay? It's called their staff report. It's two-and-a-half pages. And in two-and-a-half pages, you better get it right. That's not a very big report. And when you're alleging fraud, you better get it right. When you're determining somebody's future, you better get it right. And when you're going to take somebody off the ballot and deprive voters of having that choice, you better get it right. And you could see them scrambling when they, they sent somebody to the back of the room to start looking up the records when we brought up two points. Those two points were this. Number one, they said that Indira Radcliffe submitted 1,980 signatures from us or for our campaign and that all 1,980 signatures should be thrown out. You know, the funny thing is, Tom, they, Indira Radcliffe only submitted 470 signatures for us. Their own count was off by 1,510 
signatures, anybody listening right now should be concerned. They were off by 400%. And then there was an, you know, again, two and a half page report. You better get it right when the stakes are this high. Another problem. In the report, they said, well, Mr. Markey's campaign got 465 signatures, it's all public knowledge, 465 signatures from Sierra Brown. You know the problem with that one? We don't have any petitions from Sierra Brown. <laughs> they didn't get their own report right. Well, so we, you know what, we, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry, I'm yeah. taking it over, but I get, I get a little upset about this. No, I, and I understand that, and I appreciate that, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to let you make as many of these points as, as we possibly could. Um, I would you. like to, um, at, at some point, um, get an opportunity to sit down and talk with you, you know, for a longer period of time and do, mm -hmm. you know, a full, uh, you know, the full long format sure. interview thing. Sure, it would be our pleasure. Yep. Um, and, and we'll get back together on that. But I, I did want to ask um, a couple of things. Was it a little bit disheartening when the uh, um, Detroit Chamber of Commerce announced that they were uh, only going to advance five people to debate in uh, at the Mackinac Policy uh, Conference? No. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer, obviously, is yes. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, um, former gubernatorial candidate Tom George, who gave us his endorsement, he, he had already warned me about it. He's like, you know, I think because... There's so many in the field. He, he just said, I think they're going to try to keep you off, and you need to make a big deal. You were the fastest to get the signatures. Make a big deal about it. Um, you know, and obviously right now I can't make a big deal about it because we're, we're, we're dealing with a situation we shouldn't be in because we didn't, you know, we didn't do what the other candidates did. I didn't just blindly trust a company. We went over them. And, you know, the fraud that the Bureau of Elections has been talking about all you know, if you look at all of the citations they used for Perry, uh, Perry Johnson and uh, Chief James Craig, they all of the the round robbing and issues they show start in late March to early April when when these circulators were on. I mean, it does make okay by no means, but when these circulators were under the gun on a very short time frame and they're being paid, you know, seven times or not seven times, three times what they used to be paid. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would have liked to have been invited to the debate. Um, I think it's important for the public to be able to hear different points of view. And I, I think, too, that they should have had some type of um, decorum kind of saying, you know, some candidates like myself haven't been in this that long. Um, so, you know, that name ID is not going to – I think name ID would have been a better registration than um, potential, you know, polling voters on would you vote for him or not. Yeah, that seemed a little, a, a little flaky to me. Mm -hmm. um, in any event, uh, Michael, um, we've probably gone a little over the time that we had planned, but um, okay. but I, I I do want to get back with you, and I thank you for sharing your thoughts and your reaction to uh, to what's going on, and and we'll see what the board of canvassers ultimately mm -hmm. decides. Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Come on! 
Come on, get out of here. 